Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And thank you to 10XTO, the official athletic club of Matchpoint Canada, located at Hotel X here in Toronto. Mike, we're nearing the finish line of the National Bank Open presented by Rogers as we head into the weekend slate. Our semifinals matchups are set, and I I don't think I'm out of line for saying I I gather nobody predicted the final four here in Toronto. My goodness, if anyone predicted the final four here in their Tennis Canada bracket challenge or just, you know, casually as they were discussing the tournament beforehand, they should be hired by the ATP Tour like stat because, you know, (laughs) while we, and we're going to get into this, when we look at each of the four semifinalists, I mean, it, it makes sense given what we've seen from them this week. But that's the thing is that we don't necessarily see it week in and week out from from all four of them. It's a nice mix of semifinalists, and I'm excited to look at it with you. But uh, first of all, also to share that you've got a big guest that you spoke with, one of those four semifinalists in Alejandro Davidovich Fakina. Yeah, uh, and quite an incredible run from the Spaniard here, uh, reaching his first ever Masters 1000 semifinal on a hard court. He's done it on clay before, but a huge kind of breakthrough tournament. He's just playing. I've been playing lights out tennis all week. It started early on getting wins over JJ Wolf, uh, beating Sasha Zverev 6 1, 6 2. Big time win over the world number five, Casper Rude. And he's uh, continued on now through to the semifinals um, with a solid win over Mackenzie McDonald, another player we certainly didn't expect to see in the quarters. Uh, so he's our guest. If we look at the other, I mean, shock upsets. From yesterday, Alex Dimenauer defeating Daniil Medvedev, 7-6-7-5. I, I don't think anybody had that on their bingo card. And <laughs> I mean, we were speaking, you know, just the other day, thinking Medvedev had such a clear path to the final in that bottom half, which had kind of broken wide open. And Dimenauer just, you know, played lights out through that match. He had beaten Medvedev last year actually at the Paris Masters so maybe just took in a little confidence going into their showdown again believing that he could take out the world number three and just played a phenomenal match that led us into I think probably the upset of the tournament with Tommy Paul taking out the world number one Carlos Alcaraz yeah all four of these semifinalists have such impressive paths to uh you know the final four here Davidovich Fakina, first of all just absolutely destroyed his opponents in his first two matches JJ Wolf and Sasha Zverev the Zverev match was the shortest match of the tournament so far. Only 61 minutes to dispatch him in straight sets. You look at what Diminar has done. My goodness, Cam Nori in the first round. Then yep. taking out Canadian Gabriel Diallo, who is an unknown quantity with a big serve. So that could be a tricky opponent sometimes, as Dan Evans found out. Uh, Taylor Fritz, who Diminar was down 5-1 in the opening set before taking mm-hmm. that one in a tie break. Like, he's just never out of it. And then Medvedev, as you mentioned, and... Tommy Paul, let's talk about that maybe just briefly for a quick second here before we get to your interview with Davidovich Fakina. But taking out the world number one on a big court like he did last night in front of the fans in Toronto, where clearly everyone was behind the Spaniard, um, he just showed such resiliency, especially after we saw what is clearly the shot of the tournament from Carlos Alcaraz when he made that tweener that sailed past Tommy Paul, who was at the net and went up the line for just a, it would have been a beautifully placed passing shot, even if it had been a regular shot, let alone one of the most beautiful tweeners. Well, it's probably the most beautiful tweener I've ever seen in my life live on a tennis court. <laughs> it was, it was absolutely incredible. And it, it was funny when it happened, it, it kind of felt like the turning point 
of the match. I mean, Tommy Paul had won the first set 6-3. They were trading holds of serve in the second. I, I think there were three all at that point. And Alcaraz, you know, he's drawn to the net, uh, sprints back to the baseline, hits, uh, you know, rips a tweener down the line for a winner, sending the crowd into a frenzy. Everybody was on their feet. Tommy Paul just looked stunned. And suddenly Alcaraz is broken for 4-3. He has all the momentum. It started off a string of, I think, eight consecutive points that he won. And it felt like after that shot, the match had completely shifted. And, you know, Paul obviously understandably looked a little flummoxed and, and shocked by the moment and maybe briefly rattled. And he'd been so poised to that point that you kind of felt like, okay, Alcaraz now suddenly has a handle on this match. So for Tommy Paul to reset so well in the third and play such solid tennis. I thought he was fantastic at net. He was hitting his forehand incredible. And he said to Arash Madani, you know, on the on-court interview after, he thinks it's the best he's hit his forehand ever in his life. And and just that tweener shot, I'm not quite done talking about it because it was so damn cool. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I feel like that's a shot we're going to be talking about for years to come, even though Alcaraz didn't win a match. But I feel like fans and media alike are going to be like, oh, do you remember that time that Alcaraz hit that sick <laughs> tweener? And, um, you know, even though he's not moving on, something that will stick. I mean, you did a, a bit of a fist pump on that one. The media was kind of into it too. Everybody, how could you not be into it as yeah. a fan of the sport when you see stuff like that? Um, and the last semifinalist who we haven't really mentioned quite yet here is seventh seed Yannick Sinner, who is now the, the highest seed remaining. And I did pick him in my bracket challenge to get to the finals, although I'm currently ranked outside the top 200. So I guess this will <laughs> hopefully salvage things for me if he makes it there. But yeah, he's had the, the easiest path in a sense to the finals as he had a first round bye and a third round walkover when Andy Murray pulled out. But his two opponents that he's defeated, Matteo Berrettini and Gael Monfils, both, both very high-level uh, players. So even though he hasn't played as much time on the court, maybe a little bit more well-rested, uh, he's been showing some good stuff, especially last night in a match that went almost to 1 a.m. here in Toronto. Yeah, look, Gael Monfils put up quite a fight, I think, in that quarterfinal to, to push that three sets. And, um, you know, I'll admittedly say I really haven't had much of a chance to watch Yannick Sinner uh, this week. Same. He played on grandstand against Berrettini in an all-Italian matchup. I think I was over on court one when that was happening. And... Didn't have a chance to get over there in time, and he dispatched Mateo in straight sets. Good win. I was so excited to see him face Andy Murray, and then Murray has the abdominal strain, can't take the court, and then yeah, you last know, night was just so darn late. You know, it was, you <laughs> exactly. got to pick your moments. You got you to pace pick your yourself through this week if you're here, kind of morning till night. Uh, that by the time the Alcaraz match wrapped up, he does press. You know, it's it's 1030 or so. And you're like, oh, I want to watch this match, but I, I got to get home. And so I, I did watch a little bit of it on, on TV when I did get home. Uh, credit to Monfils. What a run to make the quarterfinals, by the way, as he's trying to rebuild his ranking, uh, you know, has uh, a new baby at home with Alina Svitolina. He's one of the older guys in this draw alongside Andy Murray. And he's playing now for the love of the game and the love of the sport. He talked about that in press. So for him to really push Sinner, uh, a top 10 player in a quarterfinal like that, get a win over Eubanks earlier, beat Stefano Tsitsipas. He really had a phenomenal tournament and a Yannick Sinner into the semis with uh, Tommy Paul in front. And I, I mean, if you look at the final four, certainly Yannick Sinner, probably the favorite to win this title. Uh, but if I learned anything from this week, I, I learned that I know nothing. That's right. There's the same here. I'm, I'm refusing to answer any questions I get this week from media outlets about predictions, not going there anymore, <laughs> not doing it. Yeah. Um, but it's 
kind of cool. We get the two seated players who are going to face each other um, and the two unseated players who are going to face each other. Uh, we'll talk more about that a little bit later. But uh, for right now, I'm really excited to uh, have our listeners listen to your interview with Alejandro Davidovich Fakina, which I quite enjoyed, by the way. Oh, well, thank you. Here's uh, my conversation with the Spaniard. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. Ben Lewis here with Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. And Alejandro, congratulations. Through to the semifinals of the National Bank Open. Uh, just describe your emotions on this great run in Toronto. Well, what I can say, I'm very happy for the for the victory today and how I'm playing this week to beating the top players. And, you know, I'm enjoying every moment that I'm, that I'm here in Toronto. Wake up <laughs> very early every day and, you know, I just very happy for the victory and to to play tomorrow. I'm very excited to play tomorrow at the semifinals. And uh, I have to ask, have you had a chance to see any of the sights around the city? Are you staying downtown? And and what do you make of Toronto? Well, yeah, I'm staying downtown, and I cannot say any places, but we have um, a one restaurant that we we are going every night, and you know it's like a superstition right now. Yeah, but just keep. Around the around the hotel, you know, around the corner, we don't walk a lot. Maybe if I have time after the the tournament, that I don't think so. I I wanted to to visit a lot more, but I think it's not gonna be possible. No, that's that's well, it's great you're downtown. Um, you have such a terrific game style on the court, drop shots, sliding around, and I, I have to ask, like you growing up as a tennis player, did this type type of stuff come come naturally? How did you kind of develop your unique game style? Well, from when I was a kid, I I was playing, I think, different style that uh, the Spanish players. And, you know, I was, I always remember that in one match when I was, uh, when I was 14, 13 years old, I played like 90 drop shots. <laughs> then, you know, wow. is that, uh, that the style that I'm growing up and, you know, maybe in 15 years old I was uh, 17 or 19 60 16 years old 40 I was like I had the 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 style when I was a kid and you know to growing up and you know that you cannot do now 90 drop show in the tour because they will kick your ass <laughs> uh you're such a natural at it. I, I think a lot of people initially, when you came up, they viewed you more as a clay court guy. And, and this season, you're having so much success in the hard courts, quarterfinals, Indian Wells, here the run in Toronto. Just how much confidence does that give you, uh, just sort of at any, any tournament you go, that, that you can do something special? Yeah, you know, I'm, I always say that I'm a player that can adapt a to all the surface i i can play in clay and grass on in, in hardcore i don't care i think every time that i step on court i i have to to be more focused to enjoy every moment and doesn't matter the the surface of the of the court just play and enjoy you talked about in your uh, press conference being relaxed and feeling feeling calm. Um, how important has that been for you? And, and maybe what, what type of things have you been doing off court that's that's giving you this sort of calm demeanor when you step on the court that helps you? Well, I th from two months now, I quit my social medias and I started to read books. I, I, always, <laughs> I, w I always said to my coach that um, I'm that kind of guy cannot read books 
you know, I, I always <laughs> prefer the movies or the series. Yeah. And now that thing, that things change and it really helps me on court, you know, and to be more calm, to, to have that uh, good habits that, for example, I had uh, bad habits or to be more solid when you have to be more solid, or, you know, that kind of thing to be more fresh mentally. That's, I, I think, great advice for, for anybody who uh, is probably spending too much time on spo- social media. I know I, I'm very guilty <laughs> of that. I think a lot of us are. Too much scrolling on the phones. Um, I, I love your positive atterg- uh, attitude and energy on court, and I, th- I think you're a great role model for, for young players. So thanks for taking the time. Good luck rest of the week in Toronto, and good luck later this season at the U.S. Open. Thank you so much. There you have it, my interview with Spain's Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, who has, of course, played just uh, such phenomenal tennis this week. And I found it really interesting how he's kind of cut social media out of his life and he's taken to reading. And what a great influence, something I want to do more of. I think a lot of us wish we could do more of uh, just, you know, putting the phone down stopping the scrolling and how it's had a, a big impact on him and, and staying calm and present. And as I told him in that interview, if you watch him play, he really has such a great positive energy on the court at all times. Uh, sure, everybody gets frustrated when they miss a shot they feel they should make, but I, I honestly think he's a really good role model with the way he handles himself on the court. Yeah, uh, what well, his plan is what my plan is starting uh, Sunday night, which is quitting social media and also starting to read books. That is my there plan for next week. Yeah, You're not going to see any tweets. You're not going to see any Instagram stories. That's it. I'm putting the phone away. And, and yeah. good for him. And I feel like, you know, that's advice that anyone can can take to heart and put into their life to, you know, sort of make improvements and take some time for themselves and look at what it's doing for him and his, his tennis. But I mean, he's, he's a quite an emerging player, only 24 years old. He's ranked just inside the top 40, but is clearly going to make a big jump after this one. But as you said earlier in the episode, he's made a Masters 1000 final before and on clay. He's clearly competent on hard courts as well. And when I was perusing his Masters 1000 results, like he's had some good results in these big tournaments, not necessarily making semis and finals, obviously all the time, but even, you know, a fourth round here, maybe a quarterfinal showing there. Clearly there's, you know, talent there that just needs to be found on a more consistent level. And uh, my goodness, you know, we think sometimes here in Canada how we're becoming a tennis nation and are a tennis nation now. Look at Spain and how much depth they have. And here's another guy that you can throw into the mix that just can get it done for them, too, on the international stage, I guess. Yeah, I I mean, it's incredible. You may have thought, will Spain take a little dip as Rafael Nadal uh, enters the twilight of his career? And will he ever be back playing Davis Cup or anything like that? I I mean, I would venture on the side of no, Uh, but they have the world number one player in Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, the way the way Davidovich Fakina is playing and he's going to jump inside the top 25 with this result. He could go even higher, I think, if he makes the final or, you know, God forbid he wins the whole thing. It's certainly possible still. Uh, so he's on the rise. They still have those veterans and, you know, Bautista, good guys like that who can still play. So Spain does have a lot of depth, uh, which uh, is great. And, you know, Canada has a lot of depth too. It's a shame we don't have any in the final four, but we talked about how special Milos Raonic's run was. And uh, we hope Felix can get back on track. Dennis can get healthy, hopefully, as the U.S. Open nears. Um, I do want to talk about some of the press conferences that we had from the quarterfinals. Uh, Mike, you touched on Alex Dimenauer, who's into his first ever Masters 1000 semifinal and his foot speed. And 
I think that's been the talk from anybody who's watched him, how unbelievably fast this guy is around the court. I would say he's one of the fastest players on tour. And it was interesting to hear that he said it it didn't come naturally. Yeah, I mean, to me, he's kind of like the modern day Michael Chang in a way. You know, that's where my mind goes to the players I grew up watching in terms of how quick they cover the court. And so, yeah, I asked him about whether or not that foot speed and court coverage has always been a strength of his. Does that go back to when he was a kid or not? And, you know, interestingly enough, I really enjoyed his answer. He said he had like clown feet when he was a kid and, and didn't always have the, the foot speed that he has today that he really had to work on it and, and grow into his body. Um, and I also asked him, you know, is that something that you continually work on to improve or is that something where, you know, you realize, no, I've got that skill. It's always going to be there. And I work on the other parts of my game. But he said, no, very much. It's something that he still has to work on. And, you know, it's one thing to to say the cliche like, oh, yeah, Dimonar has, you know, he's really fast out there. But then when you see it live, it's next level because not only is he getting to these balls, but he's doing something with them, too. You know, you yeah. can turn that, you know, defense into offense. And uh, watching him this week, it's just staggering to me that he hasn't been a top 10 guy yet at any point in his career. He's been inside the top 20 or inside the top 30 for the, really the better part of the last four years, which is impressive. And Daniil Medvedev, the day before he was to face him, I asked him what challenge Dimonaro would present. And Medvedev pointed out that he's kind of been a player who's been stuck in that 20 range. And he wasn't saying it in a bad way. He was saying it doesn't take all that much to go from that spot to then making it into the top 10. If you can be there, you can then jump forward. And I think that's what we're seeing this week from Dimenauer, um, is maybe that confidence now to know that he can belong in the top 10 of the game. Yeah, and uh, the matchup with Davidovich Fakina was really interesting for him uh, to, to explain. They, they've known each other for a very long time and faced off as juniors. Uh, I think they're the same age, actually. They're both 24, just a yeah, few months right. apart. Uh, so kind of grew up together you know, matching up against one another and their career trajectories are quite similar in a sense. And Dimonauer will be back to his career high of 15, at least based on that tournament. This tournament, that's the highest he's ever been. Uh, but what an opportunity to take it even higher for, I mean, for both of these players. And I, I think also that what really came through his press conference is the fighting spirit uh, that he talked about and how that actually applies pressure on his opponents, that they can feel it from the other side, that even if you're up 5-1, 5-2, this guy is, you know, refusing to go away. If, if you want to win a set against him, you have to beat him. You have to continue your high-level tennis. And that's really shown this week. I mean, being down 5-1 in a set to Taylor Fritz, coming back and taking that. Being down a break uh, against Medvedev, 5-2. Being down 5-1 in the tie break. I, I mean, just all these kind of key moments where he's uh, refusing to relent was was really impressive. And, you know, it's been not just on the court that's been impressive. Actually, about all four of these guys, is all four of them strike me as as good dudes. You know, there's, there's no jerks among them. They've all been really good mm -hmm. in press as well. Um, you know, one guy got his hand at two, obviously, who's no longer in the tournament, but Daniil Medvedev, I think, was the best in terms of his elaborate answers um, in press, really being thoughtful. And and even Dimenauer, you know, small things like just making eye contact with the person who's asked the question, you yeah. know, throughout my questions to him, making that eye contact, you know, verbal, nonverbal cues as well, showing that he's interested in his answer to you. Like, those are the things that are helping to grow the game as listeners and, and fans and, and readers out there of the ATP Tour of Tennis. They want to hear, you know, not just stockpile kind of cliched answers from these players. And I think we've got that from all of them. You know, if you look at Tommy Paul, 
I would say of the four, probably the one I know the least of actually. And so impressed with him as well. And it was interesting impressed when one of the, the media members asked a question about his net play and said, Hey, you were 21 of 23 at the net tonight, apparently. And he like, he had no idea that he had been doing that well. And so moments like that are pretty interesting when something is revealed to a player in a moment like that. And I also appreciated his honesty when he said that the momentum from that tweener from Alcaraz definitely impact him when he went on to lose the next six points that he was worried about it, that he was like, Oh my goodness. Like I could, I could totally yeah. turn the match here and, and hand it over to Alcaraz if I'm not careful. And uh, we were all thinking it in the crowd as we watched it. It's interesting to know that the player was thinking the exact same thing. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad he acknowledged that uh, just to touch on, Medvedev impress and he was I, I thought he was really terrific all week in the sense of like expansive longer answers you know you can really see he has such an analytical eye for the game and is really loves to discuss the details of tennis and he talked about the tennis ball and it, it wasn't in a way to take credit from Dimenauer's victory because Medvedev said I have to adapt this is the ball and it, it's up to me to to make the change but he said he, he just struggled uh, with the tennis balls that he felt like they were going flatter sooner than expected and he couldn't really penetrate through the court and he was talking about some of the bigger hitters who he believes can do it Alcaraz uh, he mentioned Kasparu he said Davidovich Bukina actually has a really penetrative shot uh, which makes a difference but Medvedev said he he struggled with that aspect and so he felt like he had to drop back into longer rallies which he does like but he just felt like he was hitting for the sake of hitting and, and not gaining any ground with his shots on Dimenauer and Dimenauer was just rock solid. So I, I thought that was really interesting um, to go in such depth with that answer. Um, I clipped it. If you, you want to go onto our, our Instagram page, Matchpoint Canada, it was, it was quite, quite interesting. And just for Davidovich Bikina and press, he talked about a calm demeanor and how that's really helped him all week. And later Yannick Sinner, uh, I mean, impress, uh, Darren Cahill came up and it's you obviously got to watch them practice. And it's so interesting because they seem like polar opposite personalities. These two Yannick Center is such a quiet, um, introverted figure and Darren Cahill, like you can hear his voice from a mile away. It's such a, an interesting dynamic, but it works so well in practice. My goodness, the two of all the coach player relationships rapport this week. And I've seen many of them in practice. Uh, there's right at the top in terms of how they're getting along with each other, interacting with each other, how Cahill's motivating him, how they're having fun in practice together. Uh, I mean, I, I think I said this on an earlier episode this week, but I can't remember now that Cahill was doing, you know, push-ups every time Sinner would hit one yeah. of his serving targets. And, uh, and that got the crowd engaged too. I mean, some of these practice sessions, people just walk by, they don't really pay attention. But when you see something like that happening, how can you not flock to the practice courts? And so I think Yannick Sinner made a lot of new fans this week in Toronto. And that dynamic with his coach was also, you know, one of the main reasons for it. And, um, you know, just overall, these four semifinalists, as I'm thinking about it, I'm stoked for all of them. Like I'm, there's no part of me that's disappointed right now or lamenting the fact that we don't have maybe a Medvedev or an Alcaraz. I mean, yeah, those are the stars that you want to see, but this is how new stars emerge and get noticed. And, um, you know, Toronto often has surprising results and there are many reasons for that. Uh, you know, maybe you could think up of a couple, but for one is, you know, it's the first big hardcore event. And so some mm -hmm. players haven't even played on the surface like Alcaraz, he played Wimbledon and then, I think I forgot, but he played the Hopman Cup too, but I think that was on clay. So yeah, 
you know, some of these players aren't climatized yet to the surface and you're going to see some kind of quirky results like this. Yeah, I, I think this has been a bit of a trend. I mean, Pablo Carreño Busta, of course, was the shock winner last year in, in Montreal and unfortunately uh, couldn't even come here to defend his title as he's dealing with injury. Uh, I think we saw a little bit of players who played over the previous week or two um, maybe a little fatigue and not getting in the right number of reps coming to Toronto. And now with the field being so deep and strong, like you're not getting an easy match to kind of ease your way into the tournament. You look at Stefano Tsitsipas, he wins a title in Los Cabos last week. And you could tell when he came to Toronto and he's facing Gal Malfis, he's, he's just not feeling the ball. And I mean, if you're not feeling the ball, you're not in rhythm and you're facing... Mofis, who's playing lights out tennis, like you're going to make an early exit. So I, I think those aspects all play into some surprising results. Um, who is just more comfortable and in rhythm and getting here earlier? We saw with Dan Evans as well, like one, wins the City Open last week and our Canadian Gabriel Diallo takes him out. And Evans was just noticeably tired from logging so much tennis the, the week before. Uh, so you have to pace yourself with such a long, long season in the tennis calendar. I, I don't feel like I've heard as much about tennis balls as I have this past week and a year in Toronto in terms of it coming up in press or even hearing it off court. Like there were a couple of players early in the week and I forget who they were right now, but it's Zverev and someone else who were chatting and they were saying like, it's going to be different tennis balls in Toronto, in Cincinnati and the yeah. US Open. And they just couldn't believe that they couldn't find a consistent ball to use. So that's an interesting point as well. And, you know, maybe we should transition just real quickly to mention Cincinnati, which is coming up next. And mm -hmm. if you haven't done your... Tennis Canada Bracket Challenge. It's open now with the draw there. Um, and hopefully we fare better than we have here in Toronto. But uh, let's take a, a quick draw, look at the draw. Uh, there's only one Canadian in the draw. Denis Shapovalov still dealing with that knee injury. Milos Raonic also not in that draw, even though he did tell us uh, a week ago on the podcast that he was planning to play it. Um, he did mention to me, and I can share it now, that uh, his shoulder was bothering him a little bit towards the end of the National Bank Open unsurprising given you know three matches in a row especially that one against tfo where he was out there serving 37 aces it's going to yeah. take a toll on your shoulder um but oddly enough i just got a message from milos right now saying that he's going to be good for the open so any of his fans who are curious about you know how big a thing this is not a huge thing i think just precautionary and he's uh, going to be ready to rock for new york well, that's that's perfect. And yeah, if he needs to take the extra week, make sure the the shoulder is in uh, absolute utmost condition uh, for Flushing Meadows. I think he's going to be a very dangerous player in the first uh, couple of rounds of the, that tournament. As you mentioned, yeah, Felix Ojeali is our only Canadian in the Cincinnati draw. Novak Djokovic is going to come back there uh, for his first tournament ahead of the U.S. Open. Understandable. He wants at least one tournament before uh, going into the final slam of the season. For Felix, um, you know, just no easy draws right now. We we know this happens. Uh, Matteo Berrettini in his first round match. And and Felix looks so solemn and pressed after losing to Max Purcell at the front end of this week. He knows he's just in a rough, brutal slump. It's been a tough, tough season. And look, um, things don't get easy on this ATP. You know, no other player is kind of uh, letting you off the hook here and letting you find your game. And Mer Matteo Berrettini is someone who's been working back up, a former Wimbledon finalist trying to find his game. He played pretty well, I thought, in Toronto this past week, winning his first round but before exiting to Sinner. And uh, they've had quite a rivalry in the past, always tight matches. And and this is why it's so difficult, because in a Masters 1000 event from the get-go, 
you know, you're going to be facing a tough player. I mean, Berrettini could very well be a seated player. He's got the talent to be right. So Felix is having a, a, a yeah. difficult, a challenging start. You know, and one of these two players is going to leave that match feeling good about themselves and feeling like they're making progress and moving forward. And 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 one of them is obviously not. And hopefully that's uh, that's not Felix. But um, it's been a very difficult go losing seven of his last eight matches now. Um, I don't know if that's the, the worst slump of his professional career, but it feels like it, it probably must be. Um, and uh, it's not going to get any easier for him as the season goes on. As soon as, you know, October rolls around, and he's got those three tournaments that he's going to have to defend going to be feeling that pressure big time so um you know fingers crossed that something can uh, can turn around for felix and and sometimes that's all it takes is that one victory to get you feeling better about yourself again and and moving uh forward yeah 100 percent. and i know he's already in cincinnati uh getting in training sessions so we'll see uh we'll probably have one more podcast uh to, to wrap our up the week after our, our, our sunday final uh mike anything left you you want to see or accomplish out of the out of the tournament this week there, there are a couple of things. I mean, on a, on a selfish level, there's a couple of food kiosks I haven't visited yet that I want to yeah. check out. So we'll see if I can hit that up. But uh, I, I want to, I mean, fun things around the court. What do I want to do? I, I want to hit up the hardest serve booth. And I'm going to do that this morning. I'm going to hit the tournament site this morning, like early when no one else is around. So no one else can laugh at me or make fun of me. And I'm going to hide my credentials and just try and serve, uh, you know, a, a couple. So if you see me today and I'm kind of holding my, or if I have an ice pack on, you'll, you'll know why that is. <laughs> Um, but that's one thing for me that I want to do. And I want to sign the positive court pledge that we signed last year too, which is a tennis Canada initiative, um, you know, focusing on the mental health aspect of the players and the game and acknowledging the importance of that. And so I'm going to throw my autograph on there as well today. Beautiful. Uh, I definitely want to sign the positive court, uh, court pledge as well. Uh, I, I find for me throughout the week, I get so caught up in all the things that we're doing that I forget to take a bunch of photos or get in a bunch of photos so i'm gonna try i think uh over the weekend uh to get photos at all the different sites you know the large trophy sort of setup, the mbo 23 sign behind the draw i'm gonna try and get that done uh before we wrap up so i have a little uh collage to maybe post um as we wrap up the the week and we should try and get a, a picture with the trophy the actual trophy um yes following the uh, we should. press conference after that final on sunday that final yep. on sunday by the way it's going to be 4 p.m. the singles final, 4 p.m. Eastern time. Um, and yeah, we'll have our ending Match Point Canada episode shortly thereafter. There you go. Well, guys, thank you so much uh, for listening. Thanks to 10XTO, the official athletic club of Match Point Canada. It's located at Hotel X in Toronto. Guys, we will talk to you next time.